there, Bogus listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Forever Bogus Podcast. And it's me, your bogus host that knows the most, B-Boy Bogus Bryce, staring at the beautiful white teeth of my best friend, Jamie Killsby, a.k.a. <laughs> the white teeth thing is, is a weird choice, but hey, it's j Dog. <laughs> I'm back. We're back on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me again. I love it. Love being here talking about movies. And today we are talking about one of the most notorious dinosaur movies of the 90s. Oh, is that right? We're talking about Jurassic Park? No, we're going to talk about Jurassic World. No, 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 wait. Jurassic Park 3, Lost World, Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's right. Or we're back, the the cartoon dinosaur movie. Maybe we should just talk about the land before time and just get it over with. Let's have have ourselves a good cry. All 25 of those goddamn movies. We'll talk about all 25 (laughs) of them for some reason. No, 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 no. We're not talking about any of those. We're talking about Tammy and the T-Rex. Tammy and the T-Rex. Now, I hope that this is familiar uh, to you folks listening out there because it's exactly the kind of thing that we're into here on the Forever Bogus podcast. It's nostalgic. It's weird. It's funny. It's strange. It's uncomfortable. Surprisingly gory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about it a little bit. Tammy and the T-Rex, okay. 1994 from director Stuart Raffle. This came out after the big dinosaur boom of Jurassic Park. Everybody was trying to cash in on those dinosaur monies. You know how that is. Oh, yeah. And so this was no different. However, it was very different. This this film was totally born when director Stuart Raffle found out he would have access to a giant T-Rex animatronic for a month. So on a whim, he wrote a script and got everybody together and figured everything all out. And what resulted is one of the most strange movies you'll ever see in your life. You're so right. So this is by Stuart Raffle, famously known for Mac and Me, uh, Ice Pirates, of course. Wonderful. And uh, you're absolutely right. He had access to this animatronic T-Rex for, I think it was a month, maybe a little less, because it was being shipped to an amusement park in Texas. And uh, one of his friends called him up and said, like, hey, I have this. Do you want to make a movie about it? He's like, I have nothing in the works, but yeah, why not? And he wrote a script, hired uh, all this talent, including Denise Richards, Paul Walker. Paul Walker, man. RIP, dude. Uh, Yeah, Paul Walker, pre-Fast and Furious fame, Denise Richards. Oh, man, wonderful film, wonderful cast. Strange movie about a Paul Walker's character is murdered by a mountain lion, and he gets his brain put into a robot T-Rex body, and he tries to continue his his love and his relationship with Denise Richards' character. Um, really, really strange fever dream kind of plot. To add it up, that was originally kind of like a horror movie. And then kind of, it yes. seems that um, g- the gore was cut out of the film to make it you know, more for like a, a family audience. Yeah, uh, from what I understand, Stuart wanted to make some quick money off of this, which is totally understandable. And he figured, you know, the best option is to sell this to a family so we had to cut out all the gore and i remember watching this when i was younger and like it would cut at very weird points 
And I really didn't understand that until years, years later when the original cut was unearthed by Vinegar Syndrome. And then they released it out to the world. And since then, my mind has been blown. Yeah, we should mention that uh, Vinegar Syndrome has put out a beautiful Blu-ray release of the original cut, including the gore and the horror elements. That version is also available on Shudder if you have a Shudder subscription. Um, it appears to be available on Hulu. So definitely seek this movie out. Totally weird. Totally interesting. And yeah, I, I saw the the original cut, you know, the family quote-unquote cut, and I watched it and I kind of thought like, who is this movie for? Like, what what are they trying <laughs> yes. to do? And then you see the gore cut and you're like, okay. It's like if you took a Nightmare, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movie and cut out all the kills. You'd be like, what is right. what is this about? What is this? So is this strange. For? But it's a wonderful movie. Totally weird. Totally the kind of thing that we talk about here on the Forever Bogus podcast. Totally the kind of thing that if you're a fan of us, you will be a fan of. And rather than just talking about the film, which I would love to do, we have kind of an inside here. We have a bit of a ringer yes, here. We sure do. So a couple of years ago, I got this random email from this guy um, who said he worked on the set of Taming the T-Rex. We had recently got the gore cut to screen at Screenland Armor for their Shocktober back in 2019. And so we had Matt Jacobson, who worked on the set of Taming the T-Rex, come out. And we just did like a live Q&A in front of all these people. And then afterwards, I had multiple people come up to me and say, like, this needs to be a podcast. Well, two years later, here we are. Here it is. Uh, yeah, this dude um, is really the backbone of a film set. You know, you yes. can't blame somebody like Matt Jacobson for what happens in the plot or what happens with the acting, but he is the guy who is providing electricity to the gigantic T-Rex and making sure that it <laughs> runs and functions and operates collect correctly. And he's also providing electricity uh, to the rest of the set and making sure that the cameras are working and everything's functioning. You know, this is the unsung hero of a film set. And it, it was really, really a pleasure to get to talk to him about this film. And, you know, once we started digging in and, and unfolding, you know, all the pages here, it was like, man, this guy has worked with everybody. He had so many stories from Hollywood. <laughs> yes. um, he shot Tupac. He I shot mean, that's Tupac. Kind of a big deal. We'll get into that. <laughs> you know, we're, we've talked, yeah. <laughs> You'll hear it on the show right here, folks. The man who shot Tupac. And um, <laughs> we'll let him solve the punchline to that joke. But yes. Yeah, a lot of films he worked on. Like I'm looking at a film right now, uh, Fatal Justice, starring Joe Estevez, <laughs> that he got to do cinematography on. He has wonderful stories about working on that. Uh, he has uh, all kinds of great stories of all these wonderful films that we like from the 80s and 90s. So many that we actually had to make this a two-parter, which is unheard of on the Forever Bogus podcast. We never do two-parters, but he is so knowledgeable and has so many great stories that we have to... Yeah, we started off by saying we just want to do a Tammy and the T-Rex podcast with with a smart and creative guy who got to be on the set. And then he's talking about Jim Wynorski and he's talking yes. uh, about Fred Olenray of Texas Chainsaw Hookers fame. And we're like, God damn, we can't just talk about Tammy the T-Rex with this guy. This guy has, <laughs> has, has seen and done it all. So without further ado, here is the wonderful conversation that we got to have about Tammy and the T-Rex with Matt Jacobson. Here it is. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. 
good. I, I love your shirt. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I like to wear a lot of Hawaiian shirts. It's something mm. that I've actually done since, you know, since I was working on, uh, well, actually, but since I was in school myself. <laughs> it's nice in that, you know, you wear shirts like this, you don't have to get people's attention. You, you, got, it. <laughs> you got it instantly. Yeah. Matt has a great career. Uh, on film. He's also a professor. He, he teaches film. And I'm looking at him now and he's got a, a board behind him with, with all this kind of, you know, complex stuff about filmmaking and f-stops and all this. And we're about to kind of primarily talk about Tammy and the T-Rex. That's right. We are talking about Stuart Raffles infamous 1994 film, Tammy and the T-Rex. And from what I understand is that you actually had a role on the set of Tammy and the T-Rex. And what, what did that consist of? I was the chief lighting designer or uh, i'm sorry wait I, I, let me let me just double check <laughs> it's been a little while i was the gaffer okay uh, the, the real title that i had was working as the gaffer but for some reason he came out as chief, chief lighting technician okay um, sounds fancy uh it's 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 kind of the older school title for for a gaffer a gaffer is is really the the electrician the chief electrician on the set they're okay. in charge of the electric crew uh, who are in charge of setting up lights. They're in charge of running power from the generator to the lights. They're in charge of running the generator too, making sure that everything's working and that, you know, every not, nothing breaks down while the, while the shoot is going on. Because it was especially necessary in that time because everything was shot on film and film at that time was a lot slower than it is today. So you needed a lot of extra light. Mm. So you, were, you worked with the, obviously, electrician for the cameras. We're talking about the lights, sound mm. equipment. But now we have a big animatronic T-Rex. Are, are your hands involved <laughs> with the electricity on that at all or what? Actually, yes. I, I was the one who was in charge of powering up the T-Rex because uh, the T-Rex, Wow! It was a 220 volt, uh, three phase power supply that was necessary to power the T Rex. Wow! So, uh, it was one of those weird times where I ended up having to work with the props people. Uh, we ended up having to set it up so that the power supply could be run from the generator to the T Rex in every situation. So, you know, I wasn't just working with the lights and, and running the power that the, the set needed. I was also powering the dinosaur. Oh man. Yeah. And that's serious work too, because I mean, the voltage you're talking about, you don't want anybody's, you know, to get blown away on a T-Rex, you know? Well, there, there were, there were some times that we ended up doing some uh, electrical rigs that were really kind of, huh, um, I, I don't want to say scary, because we always made sure that we were safe. We always made yeah. sure that everything was as safe as we could make it, but there's safe. And then there's questionable. <laughs> um, well, my, my favorite shot uh, along the lines of, of something like that. There's, there's this one shot it's in the trailer. It's in the, it's obviously in the movie. It's a shot where Denise Richards is riding on the back of the T-Rex. And, yes. and it's walking along and you see the trees going by behind it. Well, the dinosaur couldn't walk. The dinosaur basically right. could just stand in one place and kind of move its upper torso and maybe move its legs and, and, and its arms a little bit. But, it but it's all stationary. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So anytime that the dinosaur had to move, what we ended up having to do was it, it went onto a wheeled cart <laughs> and we just framed out the legs 
Um, and then they would do cutaways where the, the special effects people, they, they had a guy who was wearing this, this prosthetic suit that looked kind of like dinosaur waders. Oh, <laughs> dinosaur feet and, and dinosaur legs. And then he was actually the one who was doing all the close-ups of the dinosaur actually walking. Okay. That's <laughs> cool. But, but getting back to the, the, the shot with Denise uh, on, the, on the dinosaur, on the back of the dinosaur. So you've got the leaves moving in the background. There were these uh, eucalyptus trees that were there. And we wanted to, you know, because that's the thing. You want to get the sense that the dinosaur is, you know. Interacting. Exactly. Well, to do that, and this, this, took, some while, this took a while for us to figure out. We had to figure out how to power this, how to set this up. We had a big, like, three-ton flatbed truck. And we moved the dinosaur up onto the truck. Then we ran the power off the back of the truck and took every piece of, there's this cable that we use called banded. Okay. Um, it's, it's basically, it's a, it's a heavy duty copper cable that we use for, for running power from the generator to where our main distribution is. And we took every piece of banded that we had on the truck and we ran it in a giant loop to, to, to do some stress release on it and the truck rolled for about 300 feet and that was all it moved i mean when you're watching it you're actually seeing about as much as it moved oh wow um, and dragging <laughs> dragging this 220 volt you know three amp cable behind it so oh dragging the cable uh, and I think I think we did it three times, and each time I had to walk the entire length of cable and make sure that we weren't like you know we we weren't sanding down the cable to the point where we had bare wire, and it, it was actually very there there was very little actual stress placed on the cable. The dinosaur wasn't moving that fast, and it was a, it was a smooth paved parking lot that we were on. Okay, two things to note though, Denise was about 20 feet in the air because she wow. was on the back of a flatbed truck. And on and top. It was already about, you know, the dinosaur had, a, had like a three-foot base, and then there was this 12-foot dinosaur. So, you know, she was, she was like 15, 20 feet in the air on the back of this thing that was swaying back and forth as it's moving along. And then, you know, they've got the audio animatronics going so that the dinosaur looks like it's alive. Mm -hmm. um, she was a trooper. She she did she get scared or anything like she was just all for it. I, I imagine she must have been a little scared, but you know she didn't show it. She she okay. got up on the dinosaur and did her job. She was wow. You know, she was she was always on the set on time. She was always attentive. She was she you know this was her first role. Mm -hmm. This is this is the first. This is her breakthrough role. So Man. um, but you know there was that. And, 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 yeah, I got to give her points for that. But the other thing that's really funny to notice about this scene is that you'll notice that the behind the leaves and everything else, there's some smoke. I noticed that, yes. There was a huge, huge fire that burned most of the Santa Barbara mountains. Uh, oh, my started, gosh. That was the day it started. It had nothing to do with it, by the way. It was only, it was started about okay. a month ago. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. That's good. Um, but but it was funny because we we did this huge scene where we have we're riding the dinosaurs and then we're supposed to go over to this barn to shoot the next scenes, 
And we ended up having to postpone it for a couple of days because the entire area was on fire. And they, they were Man. trying to keep people out until they had it under control. Unfortunately, the barn didn't burn. Yeah. But, you know, there, there were times when I was I was coming back from the set because I, I lived in Pasadena at the time. And this okay. was a shot out in the San Fernando Valley. So it's about an hour drive. But there were times that I would, I would be driving back uh, from the set and I'd look in the rearview mirror and the hills were on fire. It looked like hell. It was just scary. It's frightening how every, every couple of years, uh, you know, some huge part of Southern California catches fire. And, and we just happened to be there for that one. <laughs> Bad time. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, but, and I really want to get into the nitty gritty okay. here pretty soon, but sure. I want to kind of kick things off with uh, this question in your <laughs> own words, how would you describe Tammy and the T-Rex, the movie as a whole? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's your everyday boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets his brain transplanted into a giant <laughs> robot Tyrannosaurus Rex movie. Okay, oh, couldn't couldn't have said that better. No, like, that should be on like, the IMDb. All other, like all those other uh, movies that are exactly the same. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it just came. It came out of its time. It was you know that was dinosaurs were big. It was it was the time of Jurassic Park and yeah, and Jurassic Park was one year prior. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Carnosaur. Carnosaur. <laughs> I also worked on. Yeah, we'll definitely talk oh, about that. We'll yeah. definitely get into that. Well, so, you yeah. you mentioned that you lived in Pasadena. Is that right? Well, South Pasadena, to be correct. Okay. Yeah, okay. But, but South, South Pass. Yeah, it was. It was a. It's a little uh, little suburb just south of Pasadena, just east of Los Angeles. And is that, is that where you grew up at? Oh no, no, no. I, I grew up. I grew up all over the place. I was a Marine Corps brat. But oh, okay. I, uh -huh. I, was, I was born in La Puente, and I spent most of my high school years in uh, West Covina, West okay. Covina, California. So, so how did you get involved with the the production then? Well, it's kind of a long story. Um, well, we're you know, here for I, it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I, I always, I always kind of wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, I, I was, I've been making films with my friends, you know, in junior high school and high school, um, using using the cutting edge equipment that the school had. It was this thing. It was called a VHS camcorder. Yes. Oh, yeah. it was a camera that had a recorder on it. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I did that. And then uh, I, I did my undergraduate. Uh, I got my undergraduate degree at uh, California State University at Los Angeles in East, La East L.A. Uh, that was a degree in, again, in, in video and film production. Uh, and then uh, after that, I went to USC. Uh, I got into the film school there and I did uh, four years uh, in grad school, came out with an MFA, okay. um, Master of Fine Arts degree. Uh, and a real desire to work as a cinematographer. But if you're going to work as a cinematographer, you don't just come out of school and become a cinematographer. You I know, wish. We do. Uh, <laughs> film, film school or film sets are, are very, uh, they're based around a hierarchy of, you know, you have to work in this job for a while and then you get enough uh, experience and you get to know enough people so that they trust you to move up to this job. And then you have to move up to this job and, you know, and, and it's a process. So, mm -hmm. You know, I, I worked on a lot of low-budget movies and a lot of music videos and a lot of uh, commercials and a lot of really weird shoots that are just, you know, uh, thankfully, most of them disappeared off the face of the earth. <laughs> uh, or they never got released. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I paid my dues. 
And I also met a lot of people. I met, I met people who got me my next few jobs because that's the thing about this industry. That's how you get jobs. You get a job by learning how to do the job and simultaneously meeting people who will then think of you the next time that a job comes up. And, mm. and that's the idea is you want to get in this rolling kind of process where you work with a crew and at the end of one shoot, the crew gets hired for another shoot and then mm. another shoot. And that's, that's kind of what happened uh, with Tammy and the T-Rex. I had worked as an electrician and as a best boy on a couple of shows uh, with the key grip uh, on Tammy and the T-Rex, uh, Scotty Cal Jensen. Okay. The grips on low budget features, especially they, they, they get a little rough and tumble. They're, they're, they get a little, a uh, little crude sometimes. There's, there was, a, <laughs> there was an old joke and, and Scott told me this one. So I, I think that I can say it. Okay. You know, what's, what's the difference between an electrician uh, or an electric and a grip? I don't know. The electrician will take the dishes out of the sink before peeing in it. <laughs> <laughs> So at least they're respectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's it. And, and I love, I love my grip brethren. They are, mm-hmm. um, and sistren. Uh, I, I love the grips because I, I can think of nobody I'd rather have at my side in, in a, uh, in, in a good fight or, or on a good set than a wonderful set of grips. Okay, there you go. And, and that's what Scott Jensen was. And Scott and his and the rest of his team, like Merle and uh, Todd, they they were they were great. And so Scott basically got hired onto this show first, uh, you know, by the director of photography. And then um, the DP was he was looking for a new gaffer. He was looking for somebody to be his second. And Scott actually talked him into hiring me. Wow. Um, which was nice because it was my first time up as a, as a gaffer. It was my first time making that big step up. Okay. And a lot of it, you know, honestly, probably a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was willing to take half the pay that I would get normally uh, <laughs> as a gaffer, um, which is fine, you know, because that's what you do. You pay your dues. You just move up yep. the ladder slowly. Uh, but it was also kind of a, a nice, um, it was a nice uh, um gesture of trust from Scott where he said, yeah, I'm ready to start working with you as an equal. We're going to, be, I'm, you'll be in charge of the electrics. Uh, I'll be in charge of the, the grips and we're going to make this movie happen. What an honor. That, that's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Did you ever watch like uh, any of the like Stewart's older films like Mac and me or, or um, ice, <laughs> ice pirates. Well, any ice, of those? ice pirates. I'd seen Ice Pirates. Okay. I loved Ice Pirates. Ice Pirates rules. Goofy ass movie. It was, <laughs> fun. It was so it. fun. I mean, you know that, and it was it was funny because there are a lot of things that people point out. Like if you look at the computer consoles in Ice Pirates, it still has all of the labels that that say that all these computers belong to the company from Brainstorm. Because <laughs> basically they took all the props directly from the Brainstorm set and used them for Ice Pirates. Oh, God, smart. that's great. That smart rules. guy. <laughs> but that, that's, that's oh, uh, Stuart Raffle was mm-hmm. a brilliant man. I, I, I really enjoyed working with him. He was, he was probably one of my favorite directors to work with, um, you know, when I was working in low budget. Because Stuart Raffle... He was this easygoing kind of, you know, he was a, a, a easygoing, fun personality. Um, you know, he always had a laugh, always had a smile. Um, and, and even better than that, 
he had one secret that I wish a lot of other first-time directors would learn. He knew what movie he was making. Ah. He knew the movie that he was making. He wasn't like, you know, Stanley Kubrick Jr. saying, this is going to be, you know, the next 2001 A Space Odyssey, and we're going to make it in 20 right. days on a, on a $5 million budget. Yeah, he wasn't trying to do that. He wasn't, he wasn't the type of director who would say, we're going to take 10 hours and we're going to make this one shot work and we're going to exhaust the crew and we're going to put ourselves behind schedule. And yeah, no, that, that wasn't Stuart. Stuart was, you know, he was making this movie to, to make this movie as easy as possible because he realized that it was a goofy movie. So that, that brings me to my next question then, because I know that he acquired this, animatronic uh, t-rex uh and it had it for like what less than a month so i know that there had to yeah. been like a very tight like shooting schedule uh what, what was like the vibe on set like it sounds like it was pretty kind of laid back but they still got their shit done it was laid back but at the same time there was this sense that yeah we only had a limited amount of time to get things done you know, we had to go in and we had to, you know, we, 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 I don't think we built a single set. I think it was all shot on different locations and some of the locations were great. Some of the locations I really liked. It was something where everybody knew that we were there to have fun. Everybody oh, knew cool. that we, you know, he, he wasn't demanding. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, we got to go in, we got to get this done and we got this amount of time to do it in. And then we have to move on to this and then we have to move on to this. But, you know, none of the days were especially long. None of the days were, you know, they, they, which, is, which is saying something for a low-budget film, especially yeah. low-budget film when you got a 20-day schedule. None of the days were especially long. None of the days were especially arduous. Um, you know, there were occasional challenges that came up, and we met them as best as we could. But, you know, he, he knew that he was making a fun movie for, you know, a, for you know people were going to watch for a laugh it's it's not he didn't feel like he had to go in and really make this you know a big drama this 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 isn't remains of the day this is right. you know tammy and the t-rex tammy and the t-rex yes yeah. Yeah. So, you know that's that, that kind of was the the same route that all of us followed we we just went in we did our jobs as quickly as possible uh when it came time to get the shot it was like okay work down you know you can work quietly in the background but we gotta get this shot and that's what we did um i mentioned towards the top uh that you teach film now on a collegiate level and mm -hmm. i think that's super cool in, in college, my animation professor, this uh, wonderful animation professor named Liz Blazer, she worked on uh, a whole bunch of MTV shows and she, she brought in the heads of the stop motion puppets. And uh, I also had a professor who was a Klingon in Star Trek. And at the end of the year, we got to uh, watch his episode. Not sure it was really him. He might've been BS to us actually. But uh, my question to you is, is where does Tammy and the T-Rex live in your life in this college level? I mean, do, do your students know about this movie? Are you ever going to show it to them at the end of the year as a, at end of the semester as a celebration? <laughs> well, the, the problem that, you know, it's funny for a lot of, for a lot of years, for a number of years, for a number of years, I said, I don't know if I can show Tammy and the T-Rex because let's face it, things are a little different nowadays. You know, it's, it's not, you know, there, there, there are certain characters in certain situations that are, 
let's say problematic. Not mm-hmm. PC. <laughs> not, well, not PC. Although, although uh, uh, Theo, the the actor who played Byron, he was great. Mm-hmm. He was he was wonderful. I love that character. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. and, and that's, but that's the thing though is that it's it's funny. The the first time somebody said, "Oh, did you know that it's up on uh, on YouTube?" and I said, "Oh, really." <laughs> and, and they said, "Oh yeah, okay, we're watching that next next time in our uh, in, in in our club meeting." And they did, and I was really kind of surprised. They they really they they dug it. They they got the cool. vibe. They got the fact that it was supposed to be fun, and they were they were relatively cool with you know some of the aspects that were maybe a little less PC. Um, you know, they they actually kind of liked the fact that Byron was you know a gay character, an out character who was, while he was stereotypical, he was also, you know, he, he survived. Yeah, that's true. That's very you know, true. He was actually one of the heroes of the piece. He was. And he was and proud of he was proud of his gayness. And I and I love that too. Like he wasn't exactly. afraid to show it. And I think that's fantastic for that character. And, and the fact and yeah. the fact that his 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 dad was the sheriff. And yeah. he was just yeah. like, oh, okay. You know, but he was accepting of his son. He loved his son. And yeah. so he, yeah, yeah. there were a lot of elements in this that you know they they actually helped me see it again through like new eyes mm. and, and helped me to say, you know, this this wasn't this isn't a bad movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a very good movie, but it's not a bad movie. It's it's a movie that I can be proud of. It's a movie it's better than movie. Troll Two. So <laughs> that's well, good. watch your tone, Bryce. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I've, I've got I've got movies that I worked on that are are you know they they weren't made they were committed like a crime. <laughs> I worked on that are you know I I I don't even like talking about. Although there, there, there are some fun aspects to them too. But you know, when you talk to somebody and they they look at your IMDb page and they say, "You, you, you worked on on a bikini drive-in." <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got, gotta pay I, that electric I'm, bill, I'm, man. Right. right. <laughs> well, and bikini drive-in was kind of fun. I mean, look, it was a successful franchise. They did they did bikini uh, bikini car wash, bikini drive-in, uh, bikini hoedown. Uh, <laughs> you drive in too. I mean, wow. I have a whole, I have a whole book outlining eighties coming of age, teen sex films. And, uh, yeah, man, legendary stuff there with, uh, bikini driving. Oh man. <laughs> no, no love lost there. Right. Well, well, yeah. Working, working with Fred Olin Ray was, was fun. It was, it was a trip. Yeah. So, um, as we had recently found out, there is a gore cut of the, the movie. And uh, I guess it was only released in like the, the Italy version or something, but mm-hmm. the uh, movie uh, was highly cut. So it would appeal more to like family audiences and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, right. Um, as everyone rolls their eyes. Uh, so we actually got a chance to watch the gore cut, the uncut version together at Screenland Armor a couple of years ago. Um, did you notice anything like missing from the film? No, no, it, it's, it's, you know, it was, it was funny because that was one of the things that we noticed as we were going through was, you know, th- scenes like, you know, for instance, when the, when the bodybuilder assistant gets trampled by the T-Rex, <laughs> you know, we, we looked at this, this, this prosthetic, you know, this, this kind of, you know, flattened person. <laughs> like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, it's like this, but, but, you know, again, that was part of Stewart's idea is this, this is a goofy, fun film. Mm-hmm. This is this is supposed to be a funny movie. So, you know, 
it's it's a funny movie with a lot of disemboweling and and there's a scene oh, yeah. where a little person gets their head bit off and they run off you know as a headless body until they fall <laughs> over and there's there's you know all of these other horrible things that happen but it's 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 funny it's mm -hmm. basically funny yeah, um, it's kind of kind of slapstick in in some yeah. way and, and i love that but i guess the biggest reason why i asked is that mm -hmm. i noticed there is this huge blue screen in the the warehouse um where like the dog the evil doctor's warehouse and i was wondering like did you guys use a, a blue screen for for any of the shoots or anything no we didn't actually okay. the funny the funny thing about it was that was the blue screen was there because that was actually a functioning studio that we were shooting oh okay actually a functioning soundstage that makes and, sense and, and that that's you know i mean they they did as little as possible to dress that up i mean yeah they had the dinosaur there and they draped the plastic to make it you know look less like a sound stage but it was mm. a sound stage i mean the, it worked the lighting control booth was the was the the little booth that the the doctor's assistant was in i mean okay it was, it was it was it was actually complete down to the fact that the payphone for the infamous payphone scene that was <laughs> yeah. right outside the door of the sound stage. <laughs> so and that that but that's that's one of the funniest damn scenes in the, in the whole thing when it's when my favorite trying to call yeah you, you can't call because he's a dinosaur and then the last thing he does is he checks to see if there's a quarter in it love that <laughs> love that's that. that's the moment when i actually when i realized i really liked the movie when you see his little dinosaur finger i was like i like this movie it's a good movie <laughs> and, and again that was that was our special effects people they they had specialized dinosaur arms and they had specialized dinosaur legs mm -hmm. for specific close-ups because the real dinosaur was basically a dinosaur on a pedestal. It couldn't right. really do a lot of those things. Yeah, you could you could see the arm is kind of coming from below him in that shot mm -hmm. at the uh, at the phone booth. So it's definitely, I guess, like a separate puppet arm or something. Yeah, awesome. exactly. And, awesome. And, and, and you know, and they they didn't they tried to cover it up a little bit, but you can tell. You can you just know, and it's fine. It's it's completely acceptable if you buy into the fact that you've got a dino that you've got a, a doctor. Who can actually, you know, who's, who's actually taken a, a human brain out and put it in this robot? You buy into that, yeah. you buy into the hokiness. You, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. You know, if, if you can't buy into that, it's too late. It's, it's right. It's, it's you can do. So, so people were, you know, other cast and crew and yourself, you were kind of aware you were doing something kind of campy as you were doing it. There was no surprises in the end, right? Yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Everyone knew that they were, you know, over the top, and it was it was cool. great because, you know people like the one name on the movie was terry kaiser mm -hmm. i mean it was so great being able to work with terry kaiser yeah, terry we can kaiser. have bernie's yeah exactly yeah. and we get a bernie's too yeah you know? I mean, you know, <laughs> want, want to talk about milking the cow that's oh yeah <laughs> But but no, he was great. He was funny. He was acerbic. He was just over the top. And then um, Ellen, Ellen Dubin, mm -hmm. uh, who played Helga, she was funny. She's great. Oh, she's <laughs> and, and and you know just she she was. You see a tenth of of how great she was um, on the on the screen. You know the she she was she was just doing an amazing number of things mm -hmm. uh, off off and on the set. And she was she she just knew that she was just this this ridiculous fan service i mean yeah. the, the heels and the and the bustier and and everything like <laughs> yes. but, it, but it was it was fun it was fun and and everybody had a good time on the set uh, that's that's know. what i like to hear yeah. how old was denise 
<laughs> I, I, I'm just curious. I don't know if she was of age or not. I, I, can't, I think she was, she was 17. She wasn't. As a matter of fact, it was funny. The first day on the first day that I worked on the show, I came in for the 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 traditional um, uh, script read. You know, where where all the departments read, and we all talk about, oh well, for this scene we're going to need this. For this scene we're going to need this. We start talking about budget. We start talking about making sure that we have all the equipment we need. And while we were doing that, they were doing costume fittings in the next room of the of the production company, the the production house, and. Um, they they brought in all the actors and introduced them to us and it was like okay great this is great you know hey it's it's terry kaiser hey it's uh you know it's all these other people paul walker <laughs> who was paul walker this was his yeah. first movie too at the nobody time yeah, yeah nobody did yeah. so um uh but then you know they brought in denise and she was gorgeous she was just knocked down drop dead gorgeous she's and still a babe the producer just kind of ushered her in with his hands on her shoulders <laughs> and he said hey everybody just want to introduce you this is our tammy this is denise richards and he had his you know he was very protective of her and she was very demure and very shy and she said hi and i was like oh hi good to see you <laughs> um and then he ushered her out the door into the other room and he closed the door behind her and he turned around and he looked at the crew and he said and she's 17. <laughs> <laughs> go take a cold oh, shower I mean, I mean, all, all the grips went oh, oh. <laughs> that's so funny were, were there any other like crazy antics or do you have any crazy stories about being on set anything wild that happened i mean i know like stuntman got bit by a jaguar like oh, yeah. that's crazy enough well, I, yeah, that was, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't sure if it was a jaguar or a mountain lion. It was one one of those wildcats. Yeah, that whole wildcat scene that they had, it was one of the, the last nights that we were shooting. And it was, everyone was a little tired because it was like a 20-day shoot. We were all, you know, really kind of, you know, even, even though they were relatively easy days, they were still very fast-paced days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone was a little exhausted by that point. Um, and so all of a sudden we find out, oh, yeah, there's going to be animals on the set. And... Um, we get this whole lecture at the beginning of the night saying, you know, if, if one of the animals should get loose, don't look it in the eye because it'll take that as a challenge and it'll probably attack you. So oh don't. Do yeah. Okay. So I'm yeah. going to lay out all of the lighting and everything and I'm going to be over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, was, it was really kind of surprising because the, the animal trainer was also the person who was um, playing Paul Walker's stand in. His Paul okay. Walker. Oh, and and the the accident actually didn't happen during the during the actual filming. It was it was while we were putting the animals away and everyone was putting the equipment away and everyone kind of let down their guard. And you know, basically, the animal, you know, the 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 the, the giant big cat, whatever it was, um, just kind of you know looked like it just kind of playfully went out and just kind of tapped its owner across the face. Oof. And he just kind of went, oh, he got me. Yeah. And it's like, okay, medic. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah, it's like you know one one of those one of those things where it's like, oh look, you can see teeth. Oh my oh. god, it's horrible, oh, yeah. man. Oh. <sighs> yeah. It sounds like a really unique set. I mean, not only are you uh, supplying power to everything on the set, you're also supplying power to a, a gigantic dinosaur and you got to not look a lion in the eyes. 
<laughs> it, it, it had its it had its moments. It was kind of it, there, there were there were a lot of really weird and unique moments in this. There there were a lot of things that were kind of fun, and there were a lot of things where, you know, every every set that you're on, you learn something new, and you learn right. some new way of working, and you knew some learn some new way of 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 coming together as a crew to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tammy was a Tammy was a great show to work on. It was a great show to learn on. I learned a great deal from that, and I went on to become a you know, gaffer on a couple of other movies, and finally ended up shooting some movies. So yeah, that that worked out fine. So Jurassic Park ushered in like this really big new dinosaur era in cinema. And uh, from what I understand, Taming the T-Rex is not your only dinosaur-related movie that you've actually worked on. And so I just kind of wanted to bring this up because while we're still uh, on the topic of, like, your other movies and your memories and stuff like that, you also got to work on Carnosaur, correct? Surely wow. Kong Carnosaur, yes. I got to work on that. I, it, it was it was a film. Um, yeah, Concord Pictures. Um, it, was, it was a situation where... Um, the the producer realized you know he he went to um show west uh and at show west which comes out in like i forget november december it's when they show clips and trailers from the movies that are coming up for the following summer so that okay. the, the movie the, the the movie chains and the movie theaters can bid and say oh yeah i really want to get this film in my theater for next year um and and so uh he was there uh, and he saw the clip reel for Jurassic Park before mm-hmm. anyone else had seen it. You know, it was just the theater owners who saw it. And at that moment, he he had realized that Jurassic Park was going to be a big movie. It's a Steven Spielberg movie. It's based on a best-selling book. It's you know all of these things going on about this movie. Um, so one one of the things that Roger Corman did. Mm-hmm to make all of his money was he would always take a look at the films that were coming out the next year and he would make films that were sort of similar. Oh yeah. And the sort of, yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) the idea being that if you've got a big budget movie that's coming out like Jurassic park, let's say, let's say that you're, you're in a triplex and the big theater is showing Jurassic park and the big theater is sold out. Well, in the little theater next door, there's this dinosaur movie. It's called Carnosaur. Let's go watch that instead. <laughs> oh, Let's man. Let's go watch that instead. So, so he'd already budgeted like a million dollars for Carnosaur. He went to Show West, saw the show reel, and said, I'm putting an extra $500,000 into this wow. movie. And it's all in effects. <laughs> and so I got a call from uh, an old friend of mine from back in my USC days. And he said, I need I need somebody to come out and uh, work as a as a kind of a effects unit pickup gaffer <laughs> to come out and be in charge of setting up the lights and everything. And we shot, um, we shot some of the miniature puppets for the end battle with the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the, uh-huh. and the little bulldozer. Uh, and we shot a couple of effects scenes, pickups. They did better effects for the, the scene where the, the, the dinosaur pops out of uh, the doctor's. Um, oh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, it shot that because it, the first one looked kind of cheap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the final one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they filmed a couple of the a couple of the other characters' death scenes with slightly better effects, and then they they went out and shot new footage with the 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 full size dinosaur and the full size skip loader 
uh, out in the mountains up above uh, up above the San Fernando Valley. Okay, so it sounds like you elevated the film pretty much. I was, well, I was elevated. Never, yeah, we were part of that crew that was there to make sure that it looked like it cost every penny of that million five. Um, and it was all shot the most for the most part, except for the stuff that we went up into the mountains to shoot. It was all shot on the Concord lot, which is mm. in the Monica. And that's where one of the funny things comes out, because at the same time that we were shooting the pickups on Carnosaur, there was another film that was shooting on the Concord lot. They were filming the concord version of the fantastic four movie oh my god oh yeah <laughs> so you know we would be they would be on the main stage shooting the interior of the spaceship and and having every light on the stage just focused in through these little windows and we would be across the way and we would be doing the puppet dinosaurs and um the thing about the concord lot was that it didn't have a lot of equipment it had about enough equipment to make one movie at a time. And there were two movies being made. So one of my jobs was to go out to the set and go out to their set, the, the Fantastic Four set, you know, the big budget film that was working. And I would, I would kind of hang, you know, they'd say, okay, well, we need a, we need a 1K for, for a spotlight here. So I'd go, okay, I'd walk over to the set and say, oh, here's a 1K that's not working. I'd unplug it and I'd walk it over to the set. Oh, you stole it. Later, five minutes later, somebody would come over and say, hey, we were using that. I said, I'm sorry, we got it set up. We're rolling. Sorry. Are, are you the reason why the Fantastic Four failed so terribly? <laughs> <laughs> you just single-handedly took it out? <laughs> Remember what I said about, you know, some movies aren't made, they're committed? Like yes. The yeah, that's it. Um <laughs> Uh, no, it, it was it was it was okay, but it was funny because I knew the people that were shooting and gaffing the Fantastic Four movie because it was it's a small world. We all just got out of school. We're all work, we're all hungry. We're all working on these same projects. And I actually worked with them on a couple of shows later, and it was it was funny because you know we they said, well, we're trying to get this done, but we we're not sure if we're just doing it because it's you know a contractual obligation film or. You know, again, they were trying to make the best film that they could under the circumstances, as, as were we. Yeah, of course. You know, there was there was an article that came out online a while back, and they were talking about the three worst dinosaur movies made in the 90s. Uh -huh. And I've got two of them on my resume. That's a big deal. That's an accomplishment. <laughs> I, I, did not, I did not work on Theodore Rex, and that is something that I will always regret. Man, <laughs> we got to get you a dinosaur trophy for sure. We should oh, gold plated and everything. <laughs> well, Matt, I think you're right. You have, have a million stories you could definitely tell about taming the T-Rex. I think we've only touched like the tip of the iceberg so far. I think we should definitely have you on the show sometime soon because you've also worked on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, yes. was, I was part of the uh, miniatures unit for that. Uh, we, I was a miniatures electrician. Wow. Worked on, on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and uh, then after that job finished, uh, I got a job working as a uh, as the miniatures unit gaffer on uh, Ed Wood. Oh, cool. So there was this whole there was this whole period of my life when you know it looked like I was kind of heading into this very kind of niche uh job where mm -hmm. we're, we're working as a working as a miniatures electrician or a miniatures gaffer um but then this weird thing happened what's that um, uh, an old professor of mine called me up and said i have to go on sabbatical or else i'm going to lose my sabbatical time i need somebody to come back and teach for me 
Oh. And you've taken all of my classes. And I know that you can teach my classes the way that they need to be taught. Okay. So, um, so I ended up stepping back in and teaching kind of part-time as a lecturer at Cal State Los Angeles, my alma mater. That's fantastic. Your own, your own stopping grounds. <laughs> yeah. I really loved teaching. I, mm -hmm. I love teaching and the tea and the students really responded to me. And, you know, it was, it was one of those situations where it was, it was tough for me for a long time because I would, I would teach two quarters out of the year and then I would find other work. And, you know, teaching is one of those great things where, you know, you can shoot stuff on weekends, you can shoot stuff, you know, in between quarters or, or in that six months that I'm not working on anything else. Um, so I was able to work on a lot of other projects, mm -hmm. um, but it gave me this, this opportunity to, to really kind of go, hmm, I kind of like this. And this, this, in this job, I don't have to lift heavy things. <laughs> I don't have to pull cable through the mud. You don't have to fire anybody. I don't have to, you know, the paychecks, they keep coming through and I don't have to call the production office because it's from the state and, right. and all the buildings and things. You know, and, and, and so after a while, it was like, well, do I want to teach or do I want to keep working in film or what direction? Do I want it to it seems like you found a good balance because you've done quite a bit of work since then. What, what, yeah, what have well, you been working on recently? Well, and that's that's the thing is that after after um, I, I decided in 1998 that I was going to really look for a full time teaching job. And I found a full time teaching job for a year at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And I kind of turned my back on film at that point. There were a couple of little things that I worked on, um, but um, nothing big. Uh, and then uh, with the teaching experience I had there and, and like a top 10 school on my resume, uh, I finally landed a job here in Kansas at KU. Mm. And KU is what they call a research one university. That means that 40% of my job is teaching, 40% of my job is research, 20% of my job is service. Okay. And so, um, I had no idea what research was. It's like, am I going to have to write books? Am I going to have to do anything else? And then, and then the uh, the first uh, the first month that I was here, um, a large gentleman came into my office. He said, "Hey, glad to meet you. My name is Kevin Wilmot," um, and he tosses me the script and he says, "I hear you're a cinematographer." I am looking for a cinematographer to help me shoot this movie. Um, is there? any way that we can make this film in Kansas. Now, wow. I'm glad that you trusted me enough to ask that because I'll tell you at the time, I had no idea. I, I didn't know where the labs were. I didn't know where, I know I knew what kind of equipment we had. So he tosses me the script and I look at the script and it's called CSA Confederate States of America. Hmm. And I start to read it and it is insane. It is, it is an alternate history where the South won the Civil War, slavery is still legal, we're in the present day, and it's in the form of a Ken Burns-style documentary with, with Confederate commercials. That sounds huge. It's, wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And I get to page 20, and I just look up and I say, you know, we can't not make this movie. Right. We have to do this. And it took us five years. It took us five years and working in multiple formats and doing all of research. I had to do research. I had to figure out how I could shoot stuff that looked like Lenny Reftenshaw, how mm. I could shoot stuff that looked like, uh, you know, um, um, yeah, all of these, all of these films from the, the teens and the twenties and the thirties and how, how to make a, how to make a Ronco commercial, 
<laughs> um, and, and kind of do all of these other, you know, things. And and uh, in 2004, we were fortunate enough to get picked up for Sundance, mm-hmm. and 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 we we made it to Sundance. We had a theatrical release through IFC in 2005, and the university liked our research so much that they bought us a 35 millimeter film camera, and we went on to make a couple of 35 millimeter films. Uh, the uh, the battle for Bunker Hill and uh, the only good Indian, which got us to Sundance in two thousand nine, uh, and then we bought a red one and we made a couple of other low budget features. Uh, we did we did a, a science fiction nineteen fifty science fiction pastiche uh, called Destination Planet Negro that huh. you can actually get on Amazon. Okay, I'm gonna check that out. Man. But but it uh, still sounds like you found success, like even after yeah. Tammy. Even after you know becoming a teacher and stuff, you're still finding success, and you're still doing what you're passionate about, and that's that's yeah. amazing. And that and that's the thing is that you know a lot of my friends in LA, they all told me that I was committing career suicide coming to Kansas, that that I was turning my back on what could be a, an incredibly lucrative career working in the film industry. And mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, I probably did. Uh, you know, it, it would have been nice, you know, getting a job as a as, as somebody heading up a miniatures lighting unit or something else, but. You know, the miniatures lighting unit that, uh, you know, there, there are no miniatures lighting units anymore because we've gone over completely to digital. So, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I'm here and, you know, just just last year, I, I shot film sections uh, or film segments for a uh, TV or a cable series, online series um, that was done by one of my former students. Uh, and together we were nominated for uh, a national Emmy award. Daytime wow. Emmy. So that's, you know, yeah, that's an yeah. accomplishment. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, if I'd known it, this kind of success awaited me in Kansas, I would have committed career suicide years before I did. Right. You can, you can be creative now, wherever you are. That's one of the great lessons of, of the digital age. Yes. That, you know, you, you don't have to be in Los Angeles or New York or even Atlanta anymore to make mm-hmm. movies. You can make movies wherever you want. And, yeah. and some of them are, are heartbreaking and some of them are wonderful. And some of them are exploitation films. Right. You know, right. Well, yeah. uh, do you know of like, maybe you have like a YouTube channel or something where people can go check out your latest work or should I just go watch Tam and the T-Rex? <laughs> uh, well, like I said, if you want to, if you want to get a real sense of the work that I do, my IMDb page, um, I'm Matt Jacobson. Um, I did, there are a couple of Matt Jacobsons that work in the industry though, which is really interesting. <laughs> so when you go to IMDb, I'm, I'm not the grip that's working in the Pacific Northwest and I'm not the guy who did the costume design for Flipper. Okay. Right. <laughs> Good to know. So, you know, we can look it up there. Awesome. All right. So, there you have it. This is part one of Matt Jacobson on the set of Tammy and the T Rex. And as you heard in the episode, he is so knowledgeable and has so many stories, not just about Tammy and the T Rex but on so many other different movies. It actually, so much so that it almost seemed like a fan. It was almost like, 
you know, if we had Hulk Hogan on the podcast and we we're like, hey, only talk about uh, Suburban Commando. Don't talk about anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So we're talking to this guy who's done all this stuff and we're like, we can't just talk to him about this goddamn T-Rex movie. Like, we, he, this guy's got stories for days about working on film sets and all these great <laughs> 80s action films and all this really wonderful stuff. So, hey, continued in part two, my friends. There we go. We'll see you over there. Until then, always remember to be kind. Rewind. And we'll all stay Say